And for all of you who thought to yourselves, I can never be in that band. They're so good. Now you know you can, because we can all play the kazoo, I think. Well, maybe... <laughs> oh, now it's going to be at my house. Can we get a kazoo? We need a kazoo. Can I have a kazoo? A couple of quick things before we move into our, our, uh, our sermon. Um, ladies, women. Uh, women's retreat is coming up March the, make sure I get it right, 16th and 17th, okay? Um, we have two more Sundays to sign up, the sun, this Sunday and next Sunday, for March the 16th and 17th. This is always a phenomenal time of fellowship and just learning for our, for our women. So I want to encourage you. I know we got past the, the holidays and, you know, no one was thinking about the women's retreat in March. But we only have two more Sundays to sign up. So please, please take the time to think that through. And you can sign up out here in the foyer at the women's table. Um, and if you would like to, uh, if you'd like to sponsor um, other, uh, other women as well, uh, we always need people to kind of help out a little bit financially because some people can't afford it. If you would like to do that, you can talk to the, the women who are at the table and they can share with you what the needs are. But make sure you sign up over the, either this week or next week. This week would be better so we get kind of numbers of how many people are coming. Good, good to invite people um, who may have never come to anything before. It's a great time to connect. So make sure you take the opportunity to do that because we really want to make sure that you're feeling connected uh, and cared for here at Grace Chapel. One other, one other um, thing I'd like to do is share a new ministry that we'll be starting. Eric, why don't you come up? Eric's one of the interns here at Grace Chapel. And uh, Eric's going to share with you a ministry that's been on his heart that he's been really working hard on um, to do. And I know it's going to be an exciting opportunity for many of you here at Grace Chapel. Yeah. Get saved, because then you won't. And I got saved and kept on doing so then where am I supposed to go? Because apparently Jesus doesn't work for me. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll work through this. But I'm not letting you go in the meantime. Oh, we'll get there. I'll finish it. I started it. I'll be faithful to finish. Don't give up. Keep walking. Keep pressing in. Keep confessing. But don't give up. I'll heal you. I won't let you go. There is no one who can condemn you. I don't. And if I don't, no one can. Who will even bring a charge against you? Your mind. What court could they possibly charge you in? Everything's mine. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree. Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me Oh, how he loves us all Oh, how he loves us How he loves us That God in eternity looked upon me Foreseeing my fallenness, my pride, my sin And said, I want that man in my family I'll do anything to get him in my family I will 
pay for him to be in my family with my son's life. That's love, folks. That is mega, off-the-charts love. That first voice that you heard, is this on? Yep. It's on? Okay. The first voice that you heard, you didn't see a face, that's Matt Chandler. He's a pastor at the Village Church in Texas. Um, they founded about seven, eight years ago a program. It's a recovery and reconciliation. Uh, it's uh, Steps at the Village. Anyway, it's very discipleship-oriented, and it's aimed at dealing with uh, life-related issues. Jeff, I don't know how you do it with this little, yeah. these lights and stuff. <laughs> But anyway, um, as, as he was describing the struggle, the struggle of the Christian faith, um, it's, it's likened in Scripture to a battle. Um, we're absolutely, without a doubt, in war, and it's a fight. It's a wrestle. It's a struggle, and it's not easy. Um, and, and, and as he kind of said in there, okay, uh, I gave my life to Christ, but I still struggle. So what does that mean? Um, uh, a lot of us still, I guess what I'm saying, a lot of us still have issues. Actually, all of us still have issues because we're still here. Um, the, the, the order of salvation, you, you get saved. Uh, sanctification, that's, that's an ongoing process where God conforms you. He makes you look less like yourself and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And then glorification, when we'll receive our glorified bodies, no longer have the pull of this world, the sinful nature, and Satan. But uh, in the meantime, it's a battle. It is. Um, yet we're told that Christ is the answer. We're told that Christ is enough. And yes, that is true. But how is he enough? How does Christ help me deal with such things as depression? You know, I feel lonely. I feel isolated. I'm hurting. And uh, God seems distant. And so do his people sometimes. Not only that, I'm still doing things that... I, I just can't seem to shake. Uh, I, I, I still go to food for comfort. I still go to other people, codependency. Um, I, 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 I wrestle with lust. Um, I go to drugs. I go to alcohol. Um, these, are, these are real issues. Uh, the church is filled with real people that have real issues, real struggles. Um, and they're dying for real answers. Ah, and they long for a real community, to be knitted together closely with a real community, that they can kind of let down the mask, pull back the curtain, and they can be real. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I've been saved. I've been filled and sealed with God's Spirit, but I still hurt. I still struggle. I need answers. I need help, and I need people to walk alongside of me. 
So that's why um, I feel that through my internship, we're going to do Experiencing Freedom in Christ Ministries. Um, I'm doing sign-ups right now until the end of the month. February 1st, which is the first Wednesday of February, um, we're going to do orientation. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, philosophy of the ministry, what that's about, the material that we're going to use, the structure, the format, uh, what will be required of the participants and whatnot. Um, I invite you, sign up, register, and uh, come to that. Uh, why? Because that's what God has called us to do to become better disciples of him and disciple makers of others. Okay, so maybe you're not necessarily struggling with those things, but tons are. And guess what? It's not about you. For the love of Christ compels us, having been convinced this, that one died, and he died for all. Why? So that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died again. You either do that or you die. It's like the Dead Sea principle. The Dead Sea is dead because it has no outlet. God gives you freedom. God gives you grace. God gives you growth. Not for you to hoard it. You do that, you die. Because he designed you to pour it out into others. So if you want to grow and to become what God has called you to be, join. Sign up. Let's do this and let's do it together. Good job. That's awesome. Very good. We're excited about... Uh, kicking that off in February and kicking off our new series coming up 40 days in the word at the end of January. Um, and also if you would like to join the church tomorrow, uh, Wednesday night, we'll be meeting for the first look in your family news bulletin. But if you, you're saying, I really want to join this place, Wednesday night's the time where you can kind of, you can do that. All right. We are continuing our series, um, follow the leader. It's been a good series. We'll do it for the next couple of weeks, and we'll jump into our new series, 40 Days of the Word. And I'm really excited about 40 Days in the Word, because it's not only here on Sunday mornings, but it's 40 days where we as a body, the body of Christ, come together and get into the Word and see how that can transform our lives. We're talking about, you know, walking, following the leader. Well, you can't follow the leader if you don't know where the leader's going, if you don't know what the leader's saying, if you don't understand what the leader means. You cannot really follow the leader. So this is going to be a great series to follow to, to, to on the heels of follow the leader, this 40 days in the word. So we want to get pumped and start getting excited about that in our small groups, our life groups, a different men's ministry. Um, we're just going to be focusing our, our heart and our attention on 40 days in the word. But this morning we're going to be talking about following our leader and really talking about the fact that if you... If, the, if you're dealing with some, if you're still dealing with a lot of issues in your life, there, there are some habits that really have a negative effect on following our leader and following Jesus Christ. And if we can't overcome those habits, it becomes very difficult to, to follow him. It robs us, like for example, I'll give you a big example, complaining, okay? Um, this was actually really fun in the first service afterward. I'll, I'll maybe share some things that people were saying, but... Um, complaining has a profound impact on our following Jesus Christ because it robs us of our joy. It, it, it has a profound impact not only on the person who's complaining because they, they don't have peace, they don't, they don't really have joy. It makes everyone unhappy. The person complaining is unhappy and the, person, the people that have to listen to it are unhappy. How many of us are in a situation where, you know, we, we all complain. I'll raise my hand first and foremost. We all complain. But you get in a situation where someone is just constantly complaining 
And it has such a downer effect on everyone around them. And I've never seen someone who's a constant complainer who's happy in their lives, who has any joy in their lives, any peace, any contentment. It basically robs all of that. The problem is that the complaining is a really hard habit to break. It's very difficult to break. We're naturally negative. Okay, we have a sinful nature. We have a fallen sinful nature, so we're naturally negative, and we tend to focus on the bad things in our lives. And, 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 our, and our culture doesn't really help. I think the culture feeds that. News on our 11 o'clock news usually is negative. It's bad news. It's bad news. Uh, negative uh, political ads seem to work. Ask Newt Gingrich, right? Guys in the 30s, all of a sudden, they start hamming them with $5 million worth of negative commercials, whatever, negative ads. He goes down. And we all talk about, oh, that's terrible. We shouldn't be that way. We can't stand. But it works because we, we feed on that. We soak it in. That's why the news doesn't say, oh, I would love to start a, a TV show. It's the good news at 11. All the good news is happening. I'll bet you we get terrible ratings. You know what I mean? They can't, you can't even get people to watch unless you say, it's not, it can't just be a murder. It has to be like a, a horrible, tragic murder at 11. You know, because normal murders, they don't even get your attention anymore. Oh, a murder? You need some kind of words that describe the murder to even get you to think. So we are, we are pulled in by our culture. We're bombarded continuously with what's wrong with everything. And so we develop this habit of complaining. See, when we complain, though, we as believers in Jesus Christ, we're being pulled into, we're conforming to the pattern of this world. And the Bible says that God wants Christians to be different. He wants us to be different. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he reminds us, do everything, I love when they use those kinds of words, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. You want to shine in your environment at work, at school, at home? Stop complaining because everyone around you is doing it. And when you don't, you stick out. You shine when you're positive and encouraging and you're not constantly complaining about everything that's going on around you. So I want to point out four, very quickly, four types of complainers. Four types of complainers. And you're not allowed to poke the person next to you. Don't look around at anyone else, okay? <laughs> this is, you've got to focus now. Focus We're right here. Uh, it's all about Jeff Greer when it comes to complaining, okay? I know st- and if you think, people say all the time, man, you look, you, you look like you're looking right at me when you're talking. I can't even see you without my glasses. I couldn't tell if you were your wife, okay? So don't worry about it. I'm just looking around. You're all a big blur to me. All right. So, so keep focused. So we'll talk about first, the first one is the whiners, okay? The, whi- the whiners. These people look for opportunities to be negative. A whiner's favorite words are, it's not fair. It's just not fair. I don't deserve this. Everyone, everyone seems to get everything else. They get all the breaks. A great example of this is in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. You have this landowner. He's a rich landowner. 
And he wants to hire different people. And just like today in some parts of the country, you know, you have people like standing up against the wall in a certain area and a guy will come along and say, hey, you know, why don't you come work for me? I could use you three guys. Well, the landowner, he went around and he gathered up some people at different times during the day. Well, the first person people he gathered up were early in the morning. He said, hey, uh, why don't you come work for me all day and I'll pay you this, this much. And it was a decent amount. It was a, good, it was a good salary for the day. He wasn't cheating anybody. He was giving them a good, it would, would it be the Roman guards would have made the same salary per day. So it was a good, a good salary, a good, a good day's wage. And they were excited. They said, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Well, then this, this landowner, he, you know, he went around, he saw some other people just standing around. He said, hey, why don't you come work for me too? And that was maybe two hours into it. And then all the way up to the last hour, he was saying to people, what, why are you still here? Oh, we don't have anybody to hire us. Come on, you can come work for me. And so he hires them all. And then he, he, at the end of the day, he starts paying them. He gets the guys who worked one hour. He comes in. He pays them a day's wage. They're thrilled. This is, this is awesome for them. They're so happy about it. And the guys at the end who worked all day, they're thinking, man, if he's paying that guy one for one, this is going to be great. And the Bible basically says this. This is, this is what happens. The last guys come in who worked all day. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These, uh, these men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the whole burden of the work and the heat of the day. In other words, this, this, is, this is unfair. This is just not fair. We're, we're, we've, we got cheated. We got, we got robbed here. These guys worked one hour. We worked all day. And we were totally cheated because they were expecting more because these other guys got it. So, man, they got, they got ripped off because it's unfair. Little principle here. God never said that life was going to be completely fair. Why? Because we, does God like it all the time? Absolutely not. But here's the deal. We live in a fallen world. If you go around with the attitude that people are not sinful, they're good at heart. People are good at heart. You have problems in life. If you go around thinking, oh, the whole world's just one happy place and once in a while bad things happen, you're going to have a difficult time in life. We live in a fallen world. Sin entered the world and we live in a fallen world and things are not going to be fair. They're not going to be fair. Yet we have to get that through our minds that we're, it's, it's because we live in a fallen world, things are not always going to be fair. When we die and get to go to heaven, everything's fair then, okay? You will never say, that's not fair. And sometimes when you say it's not fair, you're absolutely right. It's not fair. But, but, but complaining about how unfair it is in life, it's, if that's what you do, if your attitude is going to be that I'm going to complain about everything that's unfair in life, what's going to happen is you're going to be miserable, Understand that if you complain that life is not fair all the time and that's what bothers you all the time and you continue to let that seep into your heart and mind, then you're going to be miserable because the reality is that no matter how much you complain about it, it's not going to change the fact that life is not fair. It's just the way it is. It's not going to it's not going to help and it's not going to change reality. Reality is we live in a fallen world and it's unfair. Now, I can do things and you can do things to try to remedy some of that by what we do in our community, a food pantry, the thrift store. It was such a nice story. Someone, the story is not nice, but the end is nice. Someone in the church called and said, there's a person, people in our church, their house was completely burnt down. They're, they put them up in a house. They have nothing. They have absolutely nothing left. Is there anything we can do as a church? I said, absolutely. Tell them to go over to the thrift store and have at it. Whatever they need, just they can take whatever they need. And, he, the, and the person told me this morning, they, they actually were crying 
when they were finished because they had picked up so many things at the new to you thrift store um, that they could use. They, you know, they didn't feel like they were, it was all lost. They felt like people were coming around him and loving them. And there was tears involved. So we can, we can do things when life is kind of unfair. We can get engaged and do things that help. But complaining about it without doing anything is going to make you miserable. and It's not going to change anything. And by the way, the landowner here was not unfair. He was generous. I know in our culture we're getting confused, but I want to reestablish something, okay? The landowner who paid the people who he told he was going to pay this amount per day was completely fair. Not only that, he was completely generous to everyone else involved. Little side note here. Other people's money does not belong to you. And you shouldn't be able to determine what other people do with their money. And if they don't do what you think they should do with their money, you're going to be angry and complain about it. If people are greedy and selfish, God will take care of the greedy and selfish people. But to come along and get, start getting the attitude that this person's mind belongs to me and I don't see why they should and they're angry at the landowner, they're complaining and scooching and moaning about the landowner because he didn't give them more than he said he was going to give them and he gave someone else. He was so generous, he gave other people. Then he gets, you know, a, a good, uh, no good deed goes left unpunished. If I were the landowner, that's exactly what I'd be thinking. No good deed goes left unpunished. Okay, within this category that we're talking about here, you have what I call the entitlement whiners. Okay, fits right in here. Why, why don't I have what everybody else has? I don't understand why I can't have a, I deserve, I'm entitled to a better job. I'm entitled to more pay than I'm getting. I'm entitled to a bigger house. I'm entitled to a better car. All of it. I should, ha- I should get that. And, I, and here's the thing. I shouldn't have to work for all my whatever years in order to get there. I should have it now. I should have it right now. It's not fair. Their, their complaint, these entitlement whiners, their complaint is opposite of the people in Matthew chapter 20. The people in Matthew chapter 20 worked all day and were not very happy about the person who worked an hour and getting the same amount of money. I still think they're wrong because the guy was generous. But this, this entitlement whiners, they're, they're complaining about the opposite. They're working basically a couple hours and want to receive the same, the same as the person working all day who's worked for 25 or 30 years. Newsflash, you don't get to drive the best car, the biggest house, and have a a bank full of money until you've worked hard. It should be that way. That's biblical. That's biblical. So the entitlement whiners are basically whining because they they don't want to work so hard to achieve what other people who are working very hard have achieved. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, it says this. The rabble, now the rabble are people who came out of, uh, came out of e- Egypt. Not, they weren't Israelites. They were kind of like groups, uh, people groups that came out with Israelites. But here's what it says. It says this. The rabbles with them began to crave other foods. Okay, so they're coming out and they've been through all this stuff and they're getting manna. And he said, again, the Israelites started wailing and saying, because they're influenced by the rabbles here, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt when we were slaves. Let's not forget that, but they seem to have. At no cost. Also, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. We are not satisfied with manna. 
We aren't satisfied with what we have. And we're not thankful. And we're not going to wait for it. Let me, let me ask you a question. Where were these people going? Where were they going when, on their way through the desert? Promised land. What, the promised land's flowing with what? Milk and honey. So, it, the, so they're going to get to the place flowing with milk and honey, right? They're going to get to a place that is abundance, meat and you name it. We're talking leeks and everything else they want to eat. You know, cucumbers, whatever they can possibly get their hands on. It's all going to be there. But you know what? We're not going to wait for that. Why should we have to wait? We want to eat this meat right now. We want it right now. We're not thankful. Manna, ooh, you know, I don't want manna. Manna again? Manna burgers, come on. Remember Keith Green, that song? Manna burgers. They were tired. They didn't want manna. That's ridiculous. Why should we have to do that? They didn't want to wait for the promised land. You know what? I, I used to sit back when I was younger, especially. Even, even 15 years ago, I'd say, what's wrong with these people? What's wrong with these people? Now, I'm, now I don't say that anymore because I do. I can complain all I want. I can talk about them all I want. How can they? How can they? Right here, Greer. You do the exact same thing, just in different ways. So we need to be thinking about, as we read, them, read about them, we need to be thinking about us. Okay, the second one is the martyr, or I call them the poor me people. Oh, poor me. A martyr's favorite phrase is, no one appreciates me. Don't look around, okay? <laughs> Do not look around. I see, I can find people like kind of looking over. No one appreciates me. And these people, they do things looking for sympathy. Anybody ever watching, and don't lie, have you ever seen the movie or read the book Pride and Prejudice? Raise your hand. Yeah, guys, come on, put your hands up. You know you sat there, had to watch that. You know the mother in Pride and Prejudice? This is who we're talking about. You know, oh, the constant martyrdom. Oh, I don't even know why I talk. I've seen that movie like 40 times. I have girls. I've seen that movie over and over again. And I have to admit, though, I I do like it. Um, I'm still a man, though. I can admit, real men can admit they like to watch Pride and Prejudice. Oh, I know. Okay, I don't want to hear anything. No emails from you. My man card's secure, Okay. Numbers chapter 11, verses 11 through 15 says, And he asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you would put the burden of all these people on me? Did I, did I conceive all these people? Can you imagine saying this to God? Did I give birth to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as, as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised an, to an oath on, to their forefathers? Uh, where can I eat? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. I think he should have stopped right there. Is, uh, if, if this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. Eh, someone else, this reminds me of someone else. Remember Jonah? He was all mad, the vine grew over, and it was, oh, he liked the shade. When there was no shade, he's like, oh, let me die. I picked this verse. Now, first, we need to understand um, that, that people, the people who have this martyrdom kind of syndrome, they say, no, no one understands what I'm going through. No, no one understands what I'm going through. No one has to deal with what I have to deal with. I mean, it, you know, it's just, it's just poor, poor me. It, these are the kind of people, and you'll understand what I'm saying, if you cough, I have a, you tell people I have a cold, they say I have a flu, right? If you have one, you're missing one, they're missing two legs. You know what I'm saying? No matter what you do, no matter what happened to you, something worse happened to them. Oh, boy, I had such a hard day. You think your day was hard, bing, 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 right? Oh, poor me, poor me. I picked this passage because it's Moses who's talking, and here's the reason why. Because here, the, here's the reality 
if, if Moses can talk this way, then we can all, all of us, every, raise both hands, we can all fall into this category of, of com- the complaining trap when things are not going our way, when things are not favorable in our lives, when things are not favorable, it's very easy to say, God, why don't you just let me die? If this is the way you're going to treat me, why don't you just let me die, Lord? Third, the perfectionist. Nothing's ever right with this person. Nothing's ever good enough. Their favorite phrase is, is that all you can do? Is that the best that you can do? They're not happy. They're unhappy. They're miserable. They have no peace, no joy in their lives because nothing ever measures up for them. Just an encouraging word to parents. If your parents were perfectionists, you've got to watch yourself because if you're a perfectionistic parent, imagine what your children are dealing with. Your, your, your words, you don't think about it, but what you're saying to them is you never measure up, you're never good enough, it's never right, it's never whatever. Be real, real careful. you got the perfectionist. Fourth is the cynic. Nothing's ever going to change. This is all a bummer. Why bother? The glass is half empty. You know, it, it is constantly, this or that will never work. They, they basically suck the life out of everything. You know, you're talking about, you know, the Lord can do this, and maybe we can try that. Maybe, oh, that's impossible. That'll never work. Let me give you the three reasons. You have to have insurance, and blah, 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 blah. And they, they just, you know, it's like, I don't, you don't even talk to that person because they know you're, they, you know they're just going to pull the life and suck the life out of every little happy breath that you have, okay? <laughs> so how do, we, how do we conquer complaining? How do we get over this? Okay, let me give you a couple of things here. First, admit it's a problem for you. You have to admit it's a problem for you. Do not focus your attention on everyone else. Focus on yourself. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says this, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We need to admit it's a problem. You need to admit this is something I struggle with. Complaining, my friends, isn't just a bad habit. It's a sin. It is a sin, and we need to confess it. Think about it. Complaining is the sin that kept the children of Israel out of the promised land. They died in the desert because the Bible says that they were murmuring. They murmured. And you say, wow, that's, that's pretty harsh. No, they were murmuring. They were complaining and complaining. Oh, why did we just stay in Egypt? I don't believe this. I don't understand that. And they were constantly complaining. And so God said, okay, if that's what you desire, that's what you'll receive. If that's, where you, if, that's, if that's the vision you have for your life, if that's your vision for life, then that's what you'll receive. And they never got to see the promised land because it says they, were, they murmured. Let me tell you something. Complaining keeps us from fulfilling the purpose in our own lives. Complaining will keep you and I from fulfilling the vision of this church. It will keep us from fulfilling the purpose, our individual purpose that God has, has for our lives. Number two, take responsibility for your own life. See, I think complaining many times is just an attempt to blame other people uh, and take the focus off your responsibility. Like, you know, you created the problem, but what you do is when you complain, you shift the, the spotlight, if you will, onto someone else. And it's not your fault. It becomes their fault. You avoid the responsibility. In Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 3, if you have a pen, write this one down because it's really, really good. It says, a man's own folly ruins his life. Yet in his heart, he rages against the Lord. Isn't that so true? You watch people who basic a man's own folly ruins his life. We know that. But what they do is you start complaining and blaming everyone else. It's your fault. It's your fault. The reason this is reason that. It's everybody else's fault. It's not my fault. 
We live in a culture. Understand, that's, that's, that's the culture. Shake your fist at God, blame everyone else, but never turn the mirror around and look at yourself. It's someone else's fault. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his, in his heart, his heart rages against the Lord. See, you created the problem, but you don't want to own it. Remember what the Bible says, though. You reap what? You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You know, we complain about um, being in debt, and don't, don't get me wrong here. It's economically a very difficult time. Sometimes this is completely not your fault. I don't like people feeling guilty. I like, you know, taking principles and applying them to your life. But let me just give you a, a basic overall principle here of just a thought. We complain about being in debt, but could it be that we were a little irresponsible? Could it be possible that maybe the reason we're partially in debt is because we were a little irresponsible? And we complain about the fact that no one treats us right at work or at home, whatever else. But could it be that we're not treating other people right at work or at home? And that's kind of like they're just reflecting back how we're treating them. Just just possibilities. You know, a wise person once told me there are three kinds of people in the world. There are excusers, uh, accusers, and choosers. An accuser basically goes around and their favorite phrase in life is, it's your fault. It's your fault. When Adam was confronted with his sin, he took it like a man and blamed his wife. Okay? Right? That's not what he did? You know, he basically said, Eve did it. And then he goes on from there in our Proverbs 19. And not only that, but what does he do next? He blames his wife, then he blames, he blames God. The woman that you gave me, Okay, it's her fault. The woman that you gave me, right? Keep your fingers pointing this way. And it's not your problem, right? Not my problem, not my responsibility. So accusers basically accuse other people. It's all your fault. Excusers basically say, you know, I'll tell you what, um, I'm a product of uh, my environment and it's not my fault. I, I was dealt a really bad hand, and so therefore I have no responsibility whatsoever for the rest of my life. I'm just, I'm just a victim of circumstances, and that's the way it is, and that's how I'm going to live my life. I'm never going to try to achieve anything else and make excuses. It's my, my this, it's my that. If I didn't have this, if I didn't grow up here, if I'd have had this, if I'd have had this parent, whatever the case may be, excusers. But you know what? The people who are most successful in life are not accusers or excuses. They're choosers. A chooser basically says, you know, that mistake that I made is my responsibility. It's my my responsibility. I made the mistake. I chose to do that, and I got to take responsibility for it. A chooser basically says, "I made this mistake," and I could go on for two hours in the twelve years that we had Grace, we've had Grace Chapel about what I would do differently if we started twelve years. If I was starting twelve years ago, what did I know? I was I was never a senior pastor before. Started Grace Chapel. I'm the senior pastor. Made some mistakes along the way, but you know what a chooser does? Takes responsibility for their mistakes, repents of their mistakes, right, and then moves forward. It's okay. It's a learning curve. It's okay to say you made a mistake. A chooser says, my mistake, I repent, Lord, for doing this. I'm not going to do it anymore, and I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just going to move forward. Listen, a chooser, if they're dealt a bad hand, they rise above it. They look for opportunities to rise above it. Using God's strength, they rise above it. Number three, develop an attitude of gratitude. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, I love this verse, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God says, I want you to give thanks in all, in all th- circumstances. But notice he doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. You know, you can't always give thanks for all your circumstances. Some of them really stink, okay? 
It'd be kind of nutty to give thanks for your circumstances, but God says give thanks in. We can give thanks in all of our situations of life and our circumstances of life because we know that God's in control. Even though it's crummy, even though we've been dealt a really bad hand, we can give thanks knowing that God's going to use that. I'm going to tell you something right now. I wouldn't be, as, I wouldn't be near as passionate as I am when I preach or my life, the enthusiasm I have, if it wasn't for the, the struggles I faced as a child. When you understand things, when you're hurt, when you're hurt and you go through difficulty, you go through challenges, without those things, I don't think I'd be the same person. Do I want to go through those things again if I could snap my fingers and do it over again? Well, I'm not really sure, but I'll tell you this. I, I'm going to thank God in okay, my circumstances because he is in control and he can use them to strengthen me and help me become the person he created me to be. I'm not going to say, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for this abuse that I went through or for this that I had to endure or for that I went through. No, in, because we know that God is in control. See, the Bible says that Christians need to be different. We, we need to do everything without complaining or arguing. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, it says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Okay? Who said that? Paul said it. Where was Paul when he said it? In prison. So here's the reality. You cannot let your, you cannot let your circumstances, your situation, dictate your happiness, your joy, your contentment, your peace. You have to... Being mature, being a mature believer, you show maturity when you learn to be content, when you learn to be content and have peace and joy in spite of your circumstances. That's spiritual growth. That's why God's saying stop complaining and start growing. Number four, look for God's hand in all of your circumstances. Look for God's hand in all of your circumstances. We go through all these difficulties and we just kind of, we don't look for God's hand in it. God, I'm going to keep I'm going to, God will do this. I'm going to now keep saying it. God works out all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's not just some phrase we throw out. God will work out all things for good. Look for God's hand in all of your circumstances, in every situation you face in life. If you want to have victory over complaining, look for God's hand in your circumstances. You know, I'm not going to be thrilled to death if something happened, my car breaks down on the side of the road, whatever else, but I need to look for the opportunities. What can God do through that? How, had, how did God work through that? God didn't say, poof, my car is going to break down. It's a machine. We live in a fallen world. Machines break in a fallen world. My car is stuck on the side of the road. I don't want to cuss God over it. I say to myself, God, what are you trying to teach me here? Patience? Give me some exercise? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I've got to walk someplace. Um, but look for God's hand in all of your circumstances. In, for, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, it says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far, out, far outweighs them all. So fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The reason the Bible tells us over and over and over again not to complain, because in essence, complaining is rebellion against God. When you complain, you're saying three things. Here's what you're saying. Number one, you're questioning God's wisdom. God, you actually know what you're doing. Now, you won't say that out loud most of the time. Some, sometimes we will. But what you're doing is you're questioning God's wisdom. Do you actually know what you're doing here in my life? Are, are you watching this? I mean, are you like sleeping or something? I, I, I'm, I'm confused. Are we, are we watching the same life here? My life, it's not going very well. And, and I'm not really sure you know what you're doing, Lord. That's one of the things you're saying when you complain. 
I don't think, you, uh, God, I question your wisdom. Second thing is you doubt God's care. God, do you really care about me? Do you really love me? Do you, do you really? I mean, I, I, you know, God, I... And third thing is we forget about God's goodness. We complain about all the bad things that are happening in our lives, all the negative things, but we don't talk about any of the positive things that are happening in our lives. And, and, and to me, that's one of the tragedies. We're not grateful. We're ungrateful. We're ungrateful if we get, if we, you know, oh, Lord, if I could just have manna, boom. Then a few weeks later, months later, whatever the case may be for us, it's like, you know, this manna stinks. I don't see why I can't have. I don't understand this. And this is, we're not thankful for what we have. We're not thankful. We forget God's goodness. Often the, thing, the things that I personally complain about the most are the very things that God knows I need the most in my life to become the person he created me to be. And what God is saying to me and he's saying to you is, you know what? Something's wrong in your life right now. There's, there's some things that are going terribly wrong. Let's, let's change them. So here's what I want you to do. This is what God would say to us. Stop complaining and start changing. Because God may allow certain things in your life because he wants to bring you to a place where you're growing in your relationship with Christ. And what he's saying is, we've got to deal with these things. Stop complaining about them. I'm going to keep doing this until you get patient. I'm going to keep allowing these things to happen in your life until you learn to be patient. So the smart thing for us to do is become more patient and they'll stop happening in our lives, right? Something, sometimes the things we complain about most are the things that God knows we need the most in our lives become, to become the person that he has created us to be. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that. You know, some, you know, you can't always change other, you think, well, if I could just change the other people around me, you can't always change the people around you because God's saying, oh, I want you to change. You know, you need to, you need to stop complaining and start changing. And we want to change other people. We always, we can't always change the people around us, but what we can do is we can change ourselves. And let me explain something to you. When you change yourself, you change the way other people have to relate to you. Does that make sense? You can't change them, but if you change your behavior, you change the way they have to relate to you. And so in a small way, you're helping them change as well. Complaining is a habit that can only be, it's a habit, and it can only be broken by replacing it with something else. You can't just, you know, willy-nilly go around. It needs to be replaced. So I want you to take the negative, and we're we're close here. I want you to take the negative complaining and replace it this week with positive speech. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, it says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The Bible says that we're going to have to give account for every negative word we ever say. Isn't that amazing? It worries me. I talk too much. It's like, oh man, he's going to be there for a while. You know, and you remember this? Yeah, I remember that. We have to bring that up now. I thought it was in heaven. Um, You know, we're going to have to give account for every idle word that we speak. That's, that is important. So let's choose to fast for complaining for an entire week, okay? That's our, that's our homework, to choose to fast for complaining for an entire week. So we'll, we'll, all, we'll, all kind of, we'll all do that together. Catch yourself when you're complaining and see if you can share your feelings in a different way and express your feelings in a different way. So you got to, you know, well, this is our week. We'll catch ourselves. And because if we don't purpose to do this, if we don't like fast from it and purpose to do it, we're not going to achieve it. I love reading about the founding fathers and just history in general. But I was, I'm reading a book on ben, ben Franklin. And Ben Franklin was a man who understood the importance of dealing with different vices in his life. And this is what he said about his own life and his own way to deal with it. 
I determined to give a week's strict attention to each of these issues successively. I entered upon the, the uh, execution of the plan for self-examination and continued it with occasional intermissions. So he's talking about, you know, we've got to do this for a week and focus all of our attention on it. So let's try to do this. Let's, let's try to, uh, to, to do this ourselves as a church. Let's try to follow his example Let's try to overcome some of the complaining habits that we have. Determine this week that you're not going to complain. Okay, that's our homework. We'll come back next week. So I want you to turn to the person to your right and say, I will not complain this week. Go ahead. That's a lot more words than I won't complain. You're complaining about it? What are you complaining? Why do we have to do this? Now, if you don't have anyone on your right, turn to the person on your left and complain about there was no one to your right. And now why you ask me to do that? Right? Yeah. Yeah. One, one, one last thing. One, two last things. This is really funny. One, one, of, the, one of the women out, were out in, outside in the foyer with her husband, and she was manning one of the places. And she said, you know, when I have to man this, I don't get to interact with everybody. He said, you know, you know he kind of said, you know, you're complaining. You're complaining. And, uh, well, here's what we're going to do. It, with your family, with your family, I think that you should make a pact with your family that whenever you catch someone else in the house complaining, you have to char- they charge a dollar. You have to pay a dollar for every time. I did this once before with something else, and it was a quarter. And I'm telling you, I think we can meet the church budget by next week if we do this. You know what I'm saying? I do. I think we can, I think we can be like, yeah, we're, man, we doubled the church budget in one week. And what we'll do is, well, to everybody, you can write checks if you want to at the end of the week. It's totally fine. Just keep track. And then next week, we'll bring it in all together. We'll bring all the times that we complain. We'll bring the money in and we'll send it to Africa for the dry season farming thing they're kicking off. Okay, so that's what we'll do. We'll pay for the whole entire thing with our complaints and we'll complain about it. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this awesome day. Thank you so much, Lord, for each person here. And thank you for the opportunity to come and just share, Lord God, your word. I know these things are challenging sometimes. They're challenging to me when I write them, Lord God, because I see myself in all these people in the Word of God that are complaining. So I just pray that you work on my heart personally. I pray that you work on every single person's heart here in this, in this body. I pray that you would help us. And even this week, Lord, as we, as we really try hard not to complain, I pray that it would be an encouraging and fun thing that we do, realizing that we are doing it a lot and we need to stop in order to become the people you created us to be. So help us through your strength, through the power of your resurrection, help us concentrate and think of new ways to share our feelings without complaining because we know it's a sin against you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great one. And if you want to join...